Hi, this is Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, and I'm here with a Slate spoiler special on the movie Shooter. And joining me is Julia Turner, Slate's culture editor. Hi, Julia. Hi, Dana. Now, remember that the Slate spoiler special is a feature where we talk about a movie with complete freedom, and including giving away any plot twists and turns, the ending, etc. So you might want to wait and listen to this podcast after you've seen Shooter if you don't want to know how it ends. Um, We saw Shooter together last night and walked out just bursting with ideas and things to talk about. So let's get right to it. To begin with, we begin in the Horn of Africa, right? I believe we're supposed to be in Eritrea. Yes, or Ethiopia. Right. And we have Mark Wahlberg and his buddy, who are both marine snipers, hidden in the grass, wearing these these special camouflage grass-covered suits, and scoping out these insurgents who are coming by, I don't know, at a distance of several hundred yards, I guess, who seem to be escaping from some kind of confrontation in town. And it's a little bit confusing what happens here, but it seems like there are some, some of these insurgents that are marked by the U.S. military for assassination. So their job, these two snipers' job, is to shoot only the men in this moving convoy of trucks that need to be gotten rid of. Now, why exactly do they need to be gotten rid of once all the twists and turns are played out? Was that clear to you? Uh, no. I mean, I, I think that scene is intentionally a little bit confusing because you basically set up that he's a marine sniper and he's in this mission gone wrong. He's trying to kill some guys in Africa and he eventually gets stranded there. That There turn out to be more guys than he and his partner had anticipated. And then when they radio into headquarters for an extraction, headquarters says, let's just leave them. They're trained to get their way out. Uh, eventually, Mark Wahlberg's buddy dies and he goes home. And then the movie cuts forward, I think, a few years. It's not really clear. Uh, 36 months, actually, is the is the uh, legend. That is a strangely precise time shift, but three years later. Right. Three years later, we see Mark Wahlberg has left, or his character, who has the fabulous name of Bob Lee Swagger, um, is retired to the mountains of Wyoming and is just living a peaceful life, withdrawn from society, and it seems possibly quite disillusioned by this misadventure. You see him reading the 9-11 Commission Report and a website called Znet, and He's kind of become like a conspiracy buff. Because I don't know if we remember to mention that he was horribly betrayed by the military in the wake of this mission gone wrong, right? And they essentially left, they cut off, deliberately cut off communications and left him and his buddy there to die. Yes. Except that he managed to survive. Yes. So then he gets pulled into this scheme where he's asked to prevent the assassination of a president um, by kind of scoping out how a would-be assassin would do it. And then when it comes down to it, he's framed for the assassination. He doesn't pull the trigger, but someone else pulls the trigger and kills not the president, but the bishop of Ethiopia and frames him for an attempted assassination on the president. And he goes on the run and has to clear his name and figure out what really happened. And thus sets off the you know events of the movie. So that's the basic plot summary, right? Right. right. Yeah, that, that'll do it. <laughs> Gosh, remembering it, I'm realizing quite how twisted it all is. Um, Julia, you're the perfect partner for this spoiler special because not only do you have a lot to say about the movie of Slate's culture editor, but you're also an NRA-certified riflery instructor. So um, since this movie is essentially all about the technical details of marksmanship, I wanted to get your take on the accuracy of those details and, and just you know what you thought about the movie as a portrayal of the psychology of the sniper. Uh, I loved it. I mean, I thought it's really interesting, and there's a lot of attention to detail, and I don't think it's accidental. I mean, some of the things that it gets right uh, are in that opening scene, rather than having the classic shot of the sniper sights set on the man he's trying to shoot because he's shooting men in a moving convoy. You see his spotter calling out to him wind speed and direction, and he aims his gun just ahead of the moving trucks. Um, 
I should specify that I've never shot any at any moving targets. I've, I've just been, you know, shooting on a range. But from what I understand, that's how you do it. And then, you know, another classic riflery moment is when he shoots the Dinty Moore can from, well, I don't know what, two miles away in the hills of Wyoming. And you see him controlling his breathing, which is like a classic elemental shooting tactic. And you see that he takes the shot at the low end of his breath after he exhales, which is when you're steadiest, basically. You know, I don't think that's just trying to get the movie right. I think really what's interesting about this film are its incredibly bleak politics. It's basically a vigilante movie in ways that we can explain. And it's fascinating, I think, that the vigilante in question is not this, like, chair-kicking, you know, bruiser who can beat up anyone in his way, but this, like, stealthy sniper who has to kind of hide out and make his kills covertly. And, I mean, he can't even be open about his vigilanteism, basically. Right. So you're saying that the the particular psychology of a sniper, as opposed to, you know, some other kind of tough guy or or military figure, is is suited to the conspiracy politics of the movie. Right, right. Um, What did you think of the politics of the movie? I mean, I think both of us were just absolutely amazed. Our jaws were dropped at how pitch black this movie's vision of the United States government is. I mean, it's obviously typical for a conspiracy movie that there are going to be bad guys in the government. But the government in this movie is seen as so thoroughly, thoroughly iniquitous, you know, and just so kind of thuggish and, and malevolent and down to the smallest detail. You know, when Elias Codius, who plays, you know, one of the government sort of, um, I don't know what his, his title is, but, you know, he's sort of one of Danny Glover's right-hand men. When he kidnaps, you know, the young woman who's been protecting Mark Wahlberg and, and hiding him out at her house, he sort of sexually threatens her, and it's sort of implied that maybe he sexually assaults her and, yeah. you know, sort of enjoys holding her at knife point. I mean, he's clearly a sadistic thug, as are, you know, basically all of the government people you see. So there's the, the idea that not only is the government screwing us over, but they're sort of individually enjoying it on this yeah. kind of gangster-like yeah. level. Although I actually read him not as a government I think the Danny Glover character is a retired colonel, so I think he's actually not government. I think he's a contractor. And I think that's part of the bleakness of this movie is that, you know, throughout all the branches of government, people are corrupt, and then they corruptly outsource the corrupt things they right. want to do to contractors who are evil and employ thugs who, who, like, gratuitously sexually assault. I mean, this movie barely had time to get that sexual assault implication slash plot line into the mix, but it made the effort to keep it in there. And then you get to see in the final great snowy shootout scene, one of the climactic battles. There are like three great climactic battles. But, you know, you see the girl just shoot this guy's lights out. Yeah, yeah. Well, at that, that moment, the movie sort of becomes one of those, you know, sexploitation rape pictures, those, those sort of old B-movies where a guy sexually tortures a girl through the whole movie and then she gets total revenge at the end and gets to blow him and all his henchmen away. Right. I mean, it's a strange, strange mixture of this movie because it's a vigilante movie in the sense that it's about, you know, one individual man, Bob Lee Swagger, taking off against the corrupt United States government and taking matters into his own hands. But it's really strangely unsatisfying at the end. And I think that actually is part of the greatness of this movie as a political parable. I don't think it's the greatest movie of the year by any means, but I think it's one of the strongest political parables for the current day that I've seen since the Iraq war began. And Iraq, of course, itself is never overtly mentioned in the film at all, nor the Middle East. Right. And it's really interesting in how it sort of marries the production values and pacing of a real popcorn thriller. I mean, it doesn't have kind of the arty actorliness of Syriana, for example, whose politics, I would say, it pretty well mirrors. Um, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of shoot 'em ups and a lot of blowing up and a lot of ingenious, like the Rube Goldberg, we're going to make it look like you committed suicide device. I mean, the, you know, there's a lot of kind of great thriller ship in it. Um, but the movie is just so bleak. And it's interesting to think about what kind of fantasy it is, because on the one hand, you think, 
this is a liberal fantasy. There's, you know, one of the most evil characters in the movie is Senator Meacham of Montana, who is such a ringer for Dick Cheney. I mean, he's kind Played of... Played by Ned Beatty, by the way, who resembles Cheney a little bit at this yeah, point Yeah, he line. kind of has the white hair and the baldness, and he's got a little bit more of a doughy face, not quite such a hardened face, but he has a similar elliptical head. And, you know, Cheney, of course, was a congressman from neighboring Wyoming. Uh, and he is portrayed as... Senator Meacham is portrayed as being in the pocket of the oil interests and not really caring about legal niceties, to put it mildly. Well, in a way, this movie, it's made by the director of Training Day, Antoine Fuqua, who's not a director known for his subtlety at all. Right. And to me, Training Day, ultimately, although it had, you know, some great performances in it and great energy, is, is a failed movie because of its lack of subtlety. Right. But I think lack of subtlety actually works for this movie in a great way. I mean, it doesn't help you understand anything about the workings of government or conspiracy or right. the military or anything of the sort. It's a wild fantasy. But I feel like the very negativity and the very kind of deep, deep cynicism about, you know, the corruption of government is is what makes this movie such a strong – it's just – it's very moving on this kind of allegorical level. Right. And, and it's also just sort of very gratifying for, you know, people on our particular side of the political spectrum that it's a dirty, hairy fantasy from a progressive's point of view. You right. Know? Well, I mean, in the one hand, it, it, at the end, it becomes this, like, Dick Cheney assassination fantasy. And because we're spoiling the movie, we can say that Senator Meacham bites it at the end. As you pointed (laughs) out, the last line of the movie is Senator Meacham is protesting for his life. And he says, but, you know, he implies like, you can't kill me. I'm a U.S. senator. And Mark Wahlberg says, exactly. And then shoots him through the face. I mean, (laughs) it's it's unbelievable. Note the irony of the Dick Cheney character being shot in the face at the end. I know. There is also that great scene where you see the Dick Cheney character hunting and you can't help but think of Cheney's hunting mishap. But the thing that's interesting to me is that it's a liberal fantasy of sorts, but it's not my fantasy because it's so hopeless. I mean, my fantasy is of like a law and order world where the Department of Justice could be crusading for good and catch people who are corrupt and not of a sharpshooter who has to go and like take out all of the evil. Yeah, well, it's really the case that the best this movie can imagine is that maybe, you know, one individual just man will have some satisfaction in killing some bad guys who will immediately be replaced by other bad guys in this, you know, thoroughly kind of corrupt hotbed of some marriage of of capitalism and thuggery. Um, One little plot point I wanted to ask you, as long as we're spoiling here, there was a moment that neither of us got. And maybe, you know, people listening to this podcast will weigh in with with some theory. But why did Mark Wahlberg burn his best piece of evidence, which was the voice recording of the the Croatian actor? I'm not sure who the what the character's name was, but, you know, of the the, uh, the rival sharpshooter. Yeah, exactly. The great the great Russian marksman who reveals to him essentially the heart of this conspiracy, the African village that's been completely destroyed, you know, in order for this oil company to build a pipeline through it. Um, he's got this hard evidence on tape, and he throws his little digital voice recorder down in the snow in the great glacier climactic shootout scene and sets fire to it. Why does he do that? It's so perplexing, and I, I, I was just mystified in that scene. It didn't seem like there could be any possible reason. I mean, why not keep it for insurance later on if he ever needed to meet with these people again or hold it above their heads? And I think that really is the moment where you begin to see just how nihilistic the movie is. I mean, I think it's just meant to to kind of quash the hopes of someone like me who was hoping the movie would end in like a smashing courtroom scene where the guys would get hauled off to jail. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's maybe perhaps the, the nadir of, point, of pointlessness of Mark Wahlberg's entire quest. At first you think he's doing it to protect himself and then you kind of realize that he's just given up. Right. 
All right. Well, on that cheery note, um, <laughs> but I do recommend that people see Shooter, don't you, Julie? I really, really recommend it because for all that we've been talking about bleak politics, the movie is just, I mean, if you like violent movies at all, it's beautifully choreographed. There's great scenes. That snow scene in particular where Mark, keep an eye out for Mark Wahlberg's like incredible Yeti costume, which is great looking. His snow camouflage. Awesome. Anyway. All right. So, Julia, thanks a lot for seeing the movie with me and thanks for joining me on this spoiler special. Thank you, Dana. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.